You're listening to The Hunt with your hosts, Matt Woodward and Dan Adler. Well, welcome to The Hunt with Matt and Dan. This is episode number two, broadcasting live from Hunt Command, the epicenter of Western Big Game Hunting. We are here in Central Arizona, thanks to our sponsors today, the premier fishing vessel out of San Diego at H&M Landing and ZeroOutfitterFees.com. You know, a lot of people, Matt, when they meet us for the first time, they'll say things like, man, I would love to hunt with you guys. I would do anything to hunt with you guys, but that doggone draw, I'll never draw. I'll never get to come home with you guys. And I love, I truly love and look forward to having those conversations with clients. I call it tearing down the wall. You know, I have one of my seminars I do nationally throughout the country for Diamond Outfitters and the Best of the West TV show is called Arizona Stop Dreaming, Start Hunting. And I think a lot of people don't realize with 13 big game animals you can hunt covering about 10 different species, how many opportunities there are not only for adults, but also juniors to hunt. And I'll rattle through some of those species. Our Arizona Big Ten, or what I call the 13, comprise of three species of deer. You've got the cow's deer, you've got the desert mule deer, and you've got the Rocky Mountain mule deer. We've got uh, Rocky Mountain elk, pronghorn antelope, three species of turkey when you consider Merriam's, Rio, and Goulds. We truly have some of the finest color phase black bear hunting anywhere in the world to be found. Mountain lion, javelina, and Arizona is one of only four states, I believe, that still have free-range bison hunting. Matt, I know you've run the circuit too. You've met a lot of people, thousands of hunters over the years have talked to you at different trade shows, on the telephone, on social media. And I love breaking down that barrier of thinking, I would hunt Arizona if only I could. Let's have a conversation a little bit for our audience about the realities of folks that want to hunt Arizona are going to be able to hunt Arizona. Absolutely. I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions about Arizona. If you were to just look at the major publications, uh, hunting publications and such, you're going to get information on the absolute upper echelon hunts in Arizona. Uh, these are some uh, rut rifle elk hunts and things like that, uh, maybe the Arizona Strip. The focus tends to be on a few of these hunts that are extremely difficult to draw sometimes. And uh, what you don't see is the hundreds and hundreds of opportunities in Arizona that are a lot easier to draw. Uh, we have over-the-counter tags uh, for a multitude of species. We've got a lot of tags that are very, very easy to draw, uh, virtually 100% draw. You can draw every single year. We've got a lot of other tags that uh, over the, you know, in, in a year or two or three or four, uh, you're going to have that fantastic tag. So I think Arizona is really underrated. It gets a bad reputation for being really tough to draw. Uh, but when we, when we talk about Arizona being so tough to draw, we're talking about uh, some hunts that you could count on, on the fingers of one hand. A very small number of hunts, and so lots and lots of opportunities. Uh, Dan touched on some of the species that we have. One of the biggest opportunities in Arizona is our deer hunting. And uh, we do have over-the-counter archery deer hunting in Arizona, approximately 10 weeks of archery deer hunting in Arizona. We have an early velvet season in, in August and September, uh, again in December, and then the entire month of January. So uh, lots and lots of over-the-counter opportunities. Those are hunts that can be combined with other hunts like javelina. Same thing goes with the rifle hunts. Lots of rifle hunts in the fall uh, that you can draw every single year. And I was like, Dan, that's actually how I kind of started Borderland Adventures originally years ago, was focused on Southern Arizona and focused on these easy to draw permits so that we could uh, connect with a hunter and get them set up for a hunt and they could hunt this year. Uh, we can guarantee the draw down there. Uh, it's a hundred percent draw, typically has leftover tags, most of these hunts. And so there's lots and lots of hunts that you can do each and every year in Arizona, uh, depending on, uh, on, on what your goals are, what your hunting goals are, um, from uh, 
over-the-counter to 100% draw, all the way up to uh, high bonus point hunts that are a little bit tougher to draw. So lots of fantastic opportunities all around us here. And I think what's been really fascinating to me as Diamond Outfitters has grown over the years is just being able to share, uh, as you said, hundreds of hunting opportunities, thousands of hunting opportunities per year here in Arizona. And I think the general misconception out there in the, in the public world of hunting is, well, if it's an over-the-counter hunt or it's a easy draw, 100% draw hunt, the trophy quality must not be there. And that's simply not the case. Uh, and it's also why at Diamond Outfitters, our guides uh, actually provide a full in-house concierge application service. So if you're out there thinking, yeah, I'd like to get involved in hunting Arizona, uh, but I really don't want to mess with the draw. I don't really like doing the paperwork. There's a lot of great application providers uh, out there that will provide that service. But here at Diamond Outfitters, we provide a boots on the ground approach to doing that. And that means that information is live and up to date. It's not six months old or a year out because that's what a lot of the publications, magazines, newspapers, even some of the social media sites that that I support and I believe in, and I'm not knocking them, I, I contribute to most of them. Uh, really, the main difference is between having a boots-on-the-ground outfitter like Matt and Dan and, and, and the Diamond Outfitters crew. Um, really, what our clients have been able to, to realize over the years is of that Arizona Big Ten, or what I like to call the Big 13, uh, hunters are going to be able to hunt a lot, if not all of those species, over the course of a lifetime. We do have some tags that are considered once in a lifetime. But again, it's not a reason to fend off or, or avoid Arizona for a couple of reasons. Number one, Arizona remains one of the most inexpensive places to apply for hunts. And when you have a, a service like ours at Diamond Outfitters where we do that paperwork for you, it makes it even more hands-off where we just call you a couple times a year, make sure we're on the right track doing what you want to do, building that hunting 401k. But what people need to know if they're considering Arizona for the first time is that Arizona for those hunts that aren't uh, over-the-counter, for those hunts that aren't 100% draw, we are a bonus point state, not a preference point state. What does that mean to you as a Arizona hunter? Well, in a preference point state, like our neighboring state of Colorado, which I love and I hunt a lot, and we've made some great Best of the West TV show episodes over there, they are on a preference point system, which has its advantages and disadvantages. The main thing to understand the difference between a preference point state and a bonus point state is Let's use that example of Colorado. If Matt and I wanted to do a mule deer hunt together, uh, we could take the regulations from Colorado. We could pick a unit that Matt and I consider to be a premier unit. And in the course of doing that homework, we would find how many preference points that particular hunt, based on the dates, uh, rut, pre-rut, etc., would take. And for example, if the hunt we were most interested in says it takes four preference points, the good news is Matt and I right now, in theory, could plan on that Colorado hunt in five years. And the reason for that is if it takes four preference points, then you're not really eligible for that hunt till the fifth year. So on one hand, it gives you a little bit of predictability. On the other hand, you can't go sooner than that. Arizona is totally different. Arizona is truly a random draw for the hunts that require draw. And again, please don't get fixated on the hunts that require draw because we have so much over the counter and 100% draw hunt opportunity. But focusing just now on hunts that do require draw, we're a bonus point system. Envision, if you will, uh, your favorite hunting annual convention, whether it's a safari club in Reno or your local regional Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation or Arizona Elk Society event, and you have bucket raffles. Well, essentially, the Arizona draw, although computerized now, is a bucket raffle. And every time you have a bonus point, your name goes back in the hat. Uh, if you put in for a certain species for five years without drawing or without attempting to draw just by doing bonus points, 
then you get a loyalty point, and there's a litany of ways that Arizona rewards you for applying for certain hunts. And because we're a bonus point state, you can draw with zero points. I say that again. Because we're a bonus point state, not a preference point state, you can draw with zero points. This is true of early rifle elk. This is true of bison. This is true of bighorn sheep. Now, don't mishear me. These are long draw odds, but they're not the draw odds of a Colorado that gives you a minimum amount of years before you can even apply. And this isn't an Arizona versus Colorado discussion. I would encourage you as your advocate to be applying in both states. They both have advantages, but it's important you understand the difference between bonus point states and preference point states. For example, if I have a client that says, Dan, go ahead and put me in for elk this year. I'm not going to draw it anyways. Well, that couldn't be further from the truth because if you don't want to draw Arizona this year for any species, I should only be putting you in for a bonus point. Our team at Diamond Outfitters should only be putting in for the bonus point. It's only if you want to do a hunt this year that we should be putting you in. And Matt, it's for that reason we created the zero outfitter fee opportunity within Diamond Outfitters. So we have premium rut hunts that are under the zerooutfitterfee.com model. And then we have your traditional, I'll call it Diamond Outfitter model hunts. Same units, same genetics, same animals, but different time of year. So instead of hunting the rut, you're hunting outside of the rut. Therefore, there's more tags. Therefore, there's more uh, hunting pressure, so to speak. But the results for a guided outfit uh, are traditionally the same. What I mean by that is if you look in the hunting regulations for, say, an early rifle bull hunt uh, or a kaibab mule deer hunt or a strip mule deer hunt or, or fill-in-the-blake hunt here, you'll find that the early hunt's success rate is much higher in the case of elk and the rut hunts for deer are much higher in the case of deer hunts than what we'll call the the early season in the case of deer or the late season in case of elk. But that's for the standard hunter, right? So when it's the guided hunter, those same success rates, 85 to 100%, are going to carry over to those hunts that are considered non-premium uh, or easier to draw hunts where you'll draw them with much more frequency. Our Diamond Outfitters elk clients, for example, on the rifle hunt, they'll draw two to three, maybe even four tags in a 10 to 12-year period. Our zero outfitter fee clients have the same opportunity but statistically speaking, and statistically speaking only, we'll draw them less frequently because there's less tags, they're in the rut, and there's more demand. But at the end of the day, apply, 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 do it yourself, hire service, or have Matt and Dan do it at Diamond Outfitters, and we'll get you in the draw for those premium species that best suits your needs. But don't hesitate from thinking about hunting Arizona because of the misinformation or the rumors that are out there about how hard it is to draw a tag. Every year we're guiding clients that have no points, one point. Matt, I know you've got stories too about clients drawing the first time go around for some of these premium hunts. What would your advice be to somebody who's considering Arizona but has heard so much about uh, this scary draw? Absolutely. You've got to get in the game. It's $160 for a non-resident adult license. That's a hunt-fish combo license for Arizona. And, uh, and so that's the biggest part of your expense. There are some uh, application fees and such. Once you've got that license, um, you can be in all of Arizona's three draws each year. That license also applies to things like over-the-counter deer and, uh, and even our small game and predators and such. So there's always hunts to plan. There's always opportunity. Like Dan said, you can hunt every single year back-to-back-to-back in Arizona, uh, or you could take that to the uh, opposite extreme and be really shooting for the, shooting for the moon, uh, looking for those real really, really premium tags. You know, Matt, one thing that's really popular with the Diamond Outfitters clientele is when we put them in for these draws, whether it be elk or pronghorn, uh, mule deer, coos deer, it really doesn't matter. Once the, what I'll call the second draw comes out. So for those of you that are new to, to considering hunting Arizona, we have three major draw periods. The first one 
closes out in early February, the second Tuesday in February. That's for our elk and pronghorn. Uh, our second one takes place the second Tuesday in June. That's going to be three species of deer. So that's your desert, uh, Sonoran desert mule deer. That's your Rocky Mountain mule deer. That's your coos whitetail deer. It's both your desert and Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep. Uh, it's an opportunity to procure bonus points for turkey, whether you're looking for Merriam's, Goulds, or uh, Rio. Uh, then you've got your opportunity at bison, uh, whether it's a bonus point or a hunt. Uh, we get to do that. And then we have also a, a smaller draw in spring. Uh, but what's really important to understand, and Matt alluded to it earlier, that $160 non-resident hunting license, and it's about a, a third of that for a resident, uh, is your golden ticket. If you remember Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, that's your golden ticket to other hunting opportunities in the state. So a significant number of our customers, when they get their draw results, if they don't draw the hunt they wanted to do that year, there's no panic, there's no sadness. It's, okay, I didn't get this fill-in-the-blank hunt, so instead... This is the year, Dan, I wanted to come out and do that coos deer hunting invitational that you guys do where we have a one-day best of the West long-range hunting and ethics class. Uh, we bring in some of the other TV hosts from the best of the West. This year, for example, we're bringing in some Hall of Fame baseball players like Goose Gossage and Robin Yount to be in camp and hunting and filming it for the TV show. These are examples of hunts, and, and that coos deer hunt is combined with mountain lion. These are examples of hunts that are uh, draw required, but it's 100% guaranteed tag. So you know, client A didn't draw elk, but he does want to do deer this year. He can come on a guaranteed tag. We have incredible leftover whitetail tags with a muzzleloader uh, rifle. There's a, a, a hunt that if a guy comes and hunts archery deer with me in August or September in the bachelor group or the velvet season, as I like to call it, if for some reason he's not successful, that same tag is good come mid-December all the way to the end of the year. So Arizona is a must, must, must apply for state. Even if you blow off Matt and Dan and Diamond Outfitters, that's fine. Just get yourself in the game in Arizona. You'll thank me later. For my affiliation with the best of the West, I've hunted all the Western states. And sure, I'm biased. Sure, this is home. But Arizona is a very special place to hunt. You know, when, when I left the Air Force, they would have moved me anywhere in the world one more time on the taxpayer's dime. And I wanted to be right back here in Arizona. And it's because of hunting. So the opportunity's here. You've got to get in the game. Do it yourself or call Matt and Dan uh, at Diamond Outfitters to get in the game. You'll thank us later. You are listening to The Hunt with Matt and Dan. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Matt Woodward, good business partner and friend of mine here at Diamond Outfitters. And we're talking today about the draw process in Arizona and whether it's something I should do or not do. And obviously, uh, we're moving in the direction of getting you involved in the game here. Matt, I want to kind of walk you through a simulated phone call where I'd be cold calling you. We've never met in person, saw you online, saw you on Instagram, pick your, pick your social media or, or lead generation source. And I call you and I kind of want to walk through what that client experience would be. I know you've done this 10,000 times for your customers on the phone, but now we can we can kind of cover hopefully tens of thousands of people listening in one shot. So we'll kind of role play a little bit here what that phone call sounds like because you and I have both taken these calls for, for almost two decades. So this will be great uh, information for either our potential future hunters or just uh, potential do-it-yourself uh, Arizona hunters. Either way, we're okay with it. We're just glad you're listening to our podcast. So. Uh, I would call Matt and, and he'd answer the phone and I'd say, hey, Matt, my name is Dan. Uh, thanks for taking my call. You don't know me, but I've, I've followed Diamond Outfitters for years on social media and on the best of the West. Um, I'm kind of confused because on one hand, your TV show and your website talks about all these hunting opportunities. On the other hand, I was reading such and such magazine or such and such newspaper and they're like, Arizona is only for fools because uh, you'll never draw a tag. Talk me through it because I am. I, you, you guys look like you run a, a really great outfit. Uh, I like doing business with guys that are good outfitters. 
I know you guys have a lot of veterans and first responders on your team. So you look like the real deal, but talk me off the cliff here if you would, sir. Absolutely. So that's a big misconception, I think, about Arizona. There are some tags that are that are pretty tough to draw. That's, that's uh, certainly the truth. But we do have a, just a, a vast array of 100% draw and over-the-counter and easy-to-draw tags. So uh, there's opportunity to hunt Arizona every single year, whether you're an archery hunter or a rifle hunter or a muzzleloader hunter, 100% uh, draw tags and leftover tags. Okay, Matt. Well, that sounds good. Um, you know, I've, I've saved money. I've put a lot of money aside. So the cost portion of it is kind of covered. How should I strategize with you? I've looked at your website. I understand there's like 13 different animals comprised of 10 different species I could hunt with you. I'm really kind of interested in all of them, uh, but I don't have to hunt them this year. Uh, what's the process like with the Diamond Outfitters team as far as doing these draws? What do I need to do next? Um, and what can I really expect? I I don't need to, I don't want to wait a bunch of years for these tags. I just like the idea of hunting. I'm a little bit of a trophy hunter, but you know, I live in fill in your blank Midwestern or Eastern state or, or in the Northwest. And I just want to hunt the West. I've never really gotten the opportunity to do it. Um, is there really some opportunity where I could maybe hunt this year and, and kind of talk me through that? I'm, I'm an archer. I love to rifle hunt too. And I even have a muzzleloader if I need it. So if we're going to have maybe a three, five, 10 year relationship. Like talk to me about what those opportunities look like. Uh, let's say I did want to hunt with you every year. Um, what would your suggestion, how should we proceed from here as your customer? Basically, we need to get some communication opened up and, and figure out what your goals are, uh, what your hunting goals are, what your priorities are and, uh, and schedule and so on. Uh, like we talked about, uh, we can get you lined up for an archery hunt uh, this year and right out of the gate and be hunting. Um, but if your focus is, uh, is say, on a, a Kayabab or a strip mule deer or a rifle desert mule deer or a rifle coos deer, um, we've got various options that can uh, cover you there. So once we've come up with what your hunting goals are, your wish list, your dream list, essentially, uh, we can kind of strategize from there. So there's obviously going to be things like uh, sheep and bison that uh, tough draws. We're always kind of shooting for the moon. Uh, those make great uh, applications in our ZOF program, in the Zero Outfitter Fees program. So we can get you in for some of those more difficult to draw hunts. Uh, it's $3.99 a year, uh, and then you're covered. So it's essentially, uh, I look at it as like an insurance policy for your guided hunts. Uh, at $3.99 a year, you're covered. Uh, we're applying you for things like premium elk tags, premium deer tags, bison, bighorn sheep. And uh, it's a fantastic opportunity to really shoot for the moon on some of those uh, top-end animals. Now, you can do that same program, that ZOF program, and do a little bit more of a hybrid model. And say, say you want to hunt deer each and every year. Um, you could come coos deer hunt with us with a rifle in the fall every single year. Uh, bring your hunting friends, bring your, bring your family, and, and uh, uh, father and son trips are a ton of fun. But you could come every single year, and you can plan on hunting Arizona each and every year. While at the same time, uh, being enrolled in something like the ZOF program, which uh, allows you to kind of cover those uh, uh, more shooting for the moon type hunts, those really tough to draw premium type hunts uh, without, without any major out-of-pocket expenses when you do draw them. So once we've established your priorities, we can then kind of uh, create a long-term plan. Dan likes to say a 401k hunting plan uh, that allows you to predict the next, say, 5, 10, or, or more years of what you're going to do, how many hunts you're going to go on working towards that uh, 10 or 13 species here in Arizona. One of the things I talk to hunters about a lot, Matt, is 
if I really just kind of want to knock somebody upside the head, so to speak, with what the opportunity really is when when somebody would come by either our, our Best of the West TV show booth or our Diamond Outfitters of Arizona or Best of the West Arizona booth or whatever the case may be, uh, and they'll say, oh, I'd love to hunt with you, Dan, but if I can only draw, I'd say, you know, you just want to sit down here right now and sign a contract. You'll hunt 100 days with me this year. I guarantee it. You can hunt 100 days with me this year. Out of 365 days in a year, we could hunt together 100 days, and I could show you on a calendar how we do that right now. And I think that kind of breaks down the barrier, kind of makes them chuckle a little bit, gets them to sit down and visit and, and start building that hunting 401k. And, you know, something that I don't think we can emphasize enough, Matt, is it's not just about you and me and our clients, but it's also about that next generation of hunters, uh, that $5 non-resident youth license where we can build these large volume point portfolios for these kids where, you know, a, a dad or a grandpa or an aunt or an uncle could secretly, even as some of our clients are doing, secretly be building these point portfolios for their kids that, and, and they live all around the country. Um, and they're not telling them in a lot of cases. They're not telling these young hunters, grandkids, niece, nephews, kids that they're doing this. But slowly but surely, they're building up. So when they graduate high school on their 18th birthday, the present they're giving them is this hunting 401k that, that Diamond Outfitters and ZeroOutfitterFees.com has, has built for them, which is uh, eight points for, for all these species. And as you know, Matt, with eight points, a lot of those tags are now guaranteed. Uh, and for the ones that aren't, they're dramatically closer than you or I would have been on our 18th birthday. And and it's a really special opportunity. Arizona's one of very few states that make a non-resident hunting license available for only that $5. So, you know, as you're listening to The Hunt with Matt and Dan, if this is something you might not be interested in for yourself, definitely let people know in your in your hunting life, in your circles, friends, family, coworkers, people from church, synagogue, school, whatever it is, that, hey, uh, it may not be for you, but it may be for your next-door neighbor who that kid or, or young gal is a hunting and fishing fool and let them know we can be providing them this service and uh, uh, really break down that barrier again about just how much hunting opportunity there is in Arizona with, with 13 uh, animals to hunt through 10 major species. Really, the sky's the limit. And hunters that really want to spend a lot of time with us, they have that opportunity year after year. Yeah, I think that $5 youth license is one of the best deals in all of Western hunting. So uh, kids up to 18 years old, non-residents and residents both, uh, can purchase their uh, their general hunting license here in Arizona for $5. And that's about the best deal going in, in Western licensing. Um, and so it's a, it's a, it's a win-win and it's a, it's a no-brainer to get, uh, get all those kids that, you know, building those bonus points and get them in the program. And it's really going to pay off in the long run uh, when these kids are, are ready to hunt and, uh, uh, they're going to have uh, fantastic opportunities. For example, if a kid had two or three bonus points, there's a whole nother slew of hunts that they would actually draw in Arizona's max pool. Uh, and so we could essentially guarantee tags at, at uh, almost any point level uh, from zero all the way up to years and years in the system. So uh, just a, a never-ending array of opportunities out in front of us. And Arizona has so many organizations, whether it's Safari Club International or the Arizona Elk Society, that puts on a huge amount of juniors camps all throughout the state. So there's some hunts where juniors are, are the only ones in the woods, and there's other hunts where they're partnered up uh, when what we call the general season, where, they're, where there's adults at the same time. But if you look at a lot of these junior camps, and you can call Matt and Dan at Diamond Outfitters, or you can just look at it in the hunting regs yourself, you'll find the dates and the locations of all these sponsored camps. One of my favorite ones is put on by the Arizona Chapter Safari Club International and it's down in southern Arizona, and it's a it's a deer hunt. It can be any antler deer, mule deer or coos deer. They can get a javelina tag over the counter. They can have a mountain lion tag in their pocket. And in that time of year, in October, November, 
just about all of your predators. We're talking about things like coyotes, bobcats, foxes, badgers, cotamundis uh, are still in season. Uh, late October, you're even going to have your quail in season. So we can have kids out on these hunts and they can be focused on deer, but throughout the course of a, of a three-day weekend or a seven-day hunt for those that get the privilege of missing a couple days of school, uh, they can have an unbelievable mixed bag hunt, guaranteed deer draw, uh, and all these other tags are over the counter. Plus, when you think of the great folks at Arizona Chapter SCI headquartered down in Tucson, they have these mentored youth camps where you know guides from Diamond Outfitters will take you out for free or volunteers will take you out and help you glass and learn techniques for glassing, techniques for stalking, techniques for proper shot placement and, and how to make that final stalk, reading the wind, reading animal behavior, so there's all these mentor camps available, and you can find out about them through Matt and Dan at DiamondOutfitters.com, or you can find them online, azgfd.gov, under regulations, and uh, get these kids out, because I know it's trite, we say it all the time, uh, that the kids are the future of hunting, and, and I know we hear it so much, it kind of becomes long in the tooth, but the reality is, on a national scale, hunting license sales are down. Year after year, our sport has become less popular, uh, but the fact is, hunters are the stewards of nature, we are ultimately responsible for uh, wildlife. You know, we, we as settlers, as the Western settlers came across from Europe and came across 150 years ago, when we started building roads and dams and bridges and buildings and structures, uh, we assumed responsibility for wildlife. And not everybody has to hunt this wildlife, but we all have to understand habitat. We have to understand carrying capacity. We have to understand the North American conservation model. And uh, through outfitters, through programs like these juniors camps, we can introduce hunters to it at a young enough age where it's impressionable and it'll stick for a lifetime. You are listening to The Hunt with Matt and Dan, and uh, this is Matt Woodward. I'm here with, uh, with Dan Adler, and we're talking a little bit about some Arizona hunting opportunities. And so, Dan, um, say I was a Diamond Outfitters client. Uh, what are the first steps? Uh, what is my consultation going to look like uh, as you're going to help me begin to set up my hunting 401k? Yeah, Matt, it, it really is a, about an 8 to 12 minute consultation with our clients for the first time. And I kind of equate it to like a financial advisor. So if you had a, a great financial advisor, you're probably having two conversations, maybe three conversations with him or her every year where you're kind of outlining your financial goals, your retirement goals, and building your 401k. With Diamond Outfitters, you're essentially doing the same thing, except we're building your hunting portfolio, not your retirement portfolio. So uh, you're going to get those two or three consultations a year from us. Of course, you're always welcome to contact us at diamondoutfitters.com if you need more consultations. And all the guides on the team are very fast to respond to phone calls and text messages. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to maintain a, a file for you on a secure drive that only my wife and my team members that help in the application process uh, have access to. And I'm just going to review with you your goals. You know, it doesn't matter whether you live in Arizona or Texas or Alaska, Argentina or South Africa, everybody's file. Uh, is the same base format and then you pick what you want. So in reviewing hunts with you, I would first talk to you about all the over-the-counter hunting opportunities we have, whether it's Arizona, Sonora, Mexico, New Mexico, or some of our affiliates in other states and countries. And then we'd start specifically talking about your Arizona hunting 401k and those, those three major draw periods, right? So we have the February draw deadline for pronghorn and elk. We have the June deadline for deer, sheep, bison, Gould's turkey points to a certain extent and uh, deer. And then we have the uh, October application period where we do things like the fall turkey, the fall bison, spring bear, etc. And what I'm going to do during that conversation, I'm going to find out what your hunting goals are for this year. 
because as you know, they change from year to year. The guy that applied for elk last year this and, and didn't draw but got a bonus point this year may have a wedding to go to. So it's perfectly normal that I could call you and during the course of the first two minutes of the conversation, you could say, hey, Dan, love you guys, love Diamond Outfitters, but I've got a wedding this year and, I, and I'm going on a, a Newfoundland you know, moose hunt. I'm out for this year. Just put me in for bonus points for everything. And if that's the case, I'm going to just validate your address is still good. The four digits on your credit card aren't expired because we've got to have a good card on file with Arizona Game and Fish. And if your whole file is good to go, then we're good. On the other hand, if you say, okay, this is a good year for me to put in. I want to put in for elk. I want to put in for pronghorn antelope. I want to put in for deer and bonus points for everything else. Then we're going to dive a little bit more into the conversation. For example, uh, let's say mule deer. I'm going to dive into the dates that are available, the different types of seasons. I'm going to talk to you about the trophy potential for the unit. And that trophy potential is based on several things. How my team did in their last year. What are the bucks we killed? More importantly for you as a customer, what about the bucks we didn't kill last year? What about the holdover bucks that were three and a half year olds last year that we didn't want to shoot? How about habitat, water, feed conditions, predation, poaching, uh, anything that we're concerned about? Once we marry up the dates you're available with the type of hunting you want to do and the habitat you're comfortable hunting, because some of Arizona's most remote units are as difficult as any hunter in the West, and some of Arizona's easier access units can be hunted by anybody of any physical condition, new hunter, experienced hunter, brand new hunter, it doesn't matter, age doesn't matter, uh, physicality doesn't matter. So we kind of break all those down for you individually. Uh, in the case of some of the deer hunts, what a lot of our clients are doing now is we're taking, we talked about how plentiful deer tags can be in the state of Arizona, kind of beating that reputation it has. So we might put you in first choice because it's important to understand that on your hunting application in Arizona, you get five choices. But for these really good tags that our clients want, really only your first two count. And we'll talk about on a, another podcast of the hunt with Matt and Dan down the road what that means. But for, for practical purposes, we get two choices. And what we're finding a lot of our clients are doing now is, is in using those two choices, the first choice is going to be under our zero outfitter fee model, which is zerooutfitterfees.com. We're putting you in for a rut hunt. And the second choice is for a more readily available pre-rut hunt or post-rut hunt, for example, in the case of elk. And then you have your two choices. If you get drawn for your zero outfitter fee hunt, congratulations, you're doing a full guided hunt for just that $3.99 for that year. Uh, if you draw the diamond outfitters hunt as your second choice, then it's the regular retail rate. And you can do this on your own as a DIY hunter or huntress too. Just put in for a swing for the fences draw for your first choice and then the, uh, a more regular available tag for your second choice. And we repeat that for all those species. It's about a 10 to 12 minute phone call. At the end of that, my team puts you in for those calls, or per, for those hunts, I should say. And then you get an email receipt from Arizona Game and Fish, and you get an email receipt from Diamond Outfitters when it's been done. And again, your non-resident fees are gonna be $160 for your non-resident license. That's a 365 day license, not an annual license. So we usually get to cover two or three drop periods in each license. Uh, then your application tag bonus point fees combined are $40 per species per person. And then you're not actually charged for the tag anymore. Uh, you used to be, and it's important to understand that, you are no longer charged for that tag for elk or sheep or deer until you actually draw the permit. This is a big change from several years ago when you used to be charged the permit fee up front and then you'd go three or four months and then get a refund. Wyoming still does that, New Mexico still does that. Arizona does require you to have the hunting license, but no longer requires you to have those tag fees up front, which is nice if you're applying in a multitude of states. So 
we will have a fully organized uh, hunting portfolio 401k for all of our clients. You can be as an actively involved or involved as you like. For example, if you say, Dan, take care of everything after our interview, you do everything, your team put me in for all those draws. Or at the end, if you prefer, if you're superstitious or you'd rather do it yourself, then uh, by all means do it and get put in the draw with the information we give you, the hunt numbers we give you. Those are basically the two major ways to look at it. At the end of the day, you've got to be in the game. You've got to be playing. I would recommend almost always putting in for hunts, not bonus points, if it's some of those more premium hunts, because if it is going to take a little bit of try, a little bit of time to draw it, you know, the randomness of our draw makes it worthwhile every year. All right, you're listening to The Hunt with Matt and Dan. Thanks so much for being here. We're recording live today from Hunt Command, the epicenter of Western Big Game Hunting in Central Arizona. And we spent some time so far today talking about debunking the myth behind how hard it is to have an Arizona permit. So I'm not going to beat you up with that anymore now that you know if you want to hunt with the Diamond Outfitters crew, you're going to hunt with the Diamond Outfitters crew, whether it's in our traditional model or our zerooutfitterfees.com model. But uh, with Diamond Outfitters, especially with our affiliation with Matt and, and Borderland now, we have opened up the world, literally, to, uh, to our customers, our clients, and our listeners. And we now have incredible opportunities, uh, continuing opportunities, in old Mexico and Sonora, in some places only 45 minutes over the border, and also in New Mexico. So, Matt, we kind of uh, lead us in. Let's first talk about Mexico. Kind of talk to me about how you got into the Mexico business. Obviously, a lot of people have concerns or, or listen to too much CNN and, and uh, don't really understand the big picture. And, and I say that because I didn't. It took me many, many years to get to your level of wisdom on what a great experience it is, how safe it is, how bringing a gun across the border isn't uh, <laughs> dangerous or convoluted as people think it is. Kind of debunk a lot of those myths and talk about the Diamond Outfitters opportunities down in Old Sonora. Absolutely. Thanks, Dan. Uh, almost 20 years ago, I, uh, I had this idea that I wanted to go hunt Mexico. I wanted to give it a try. been hearing about it. Everyone was uh, headed down there. It was kind of the heyday of, of northern Sonora. Uh, of course, I was living in southern Arizona. I was just about 15 minutes from the border at that point, had lots of friends and connections down in that area and reached out to a few folks and, and ended up finding a few tags. And that was my very first Mexico experience was uh, we purchased four tags and a group of us went down there and just kind of uh, went on a little trial run to see what Mexico was all about. And uh, it blew our minds. Mexico is a sportsman's paradise. It's an unspoiled sportsman's paradise. I often say it's uh, it's what the Southwest would have been like 150 or 200 years ago. Unspoiled, uh, really unmolested deer populations. Uh, and it's a, one of the few opportunities in North America where we can look at wildlife in what they would be without, very, without much human disruption or interaction as far as buck-to-doe ratios and things like that. As we all know, uh, deer are born like humans are, about 50-50 bucks and does, but we don't typically see that in most of the places that we hunt. Uh, you do see that down south of the border. You see extremely high buck-to-doe ratios and more of an uh, unspoiled-type hunting situation. So Mexico is, um, is, like I said, it's a world-class destination for hunters these days. All Mexico hunting is conducted on private land, and it's all conducted uh, under tags that are issued from the state government to each individual ranch owner. And so uh, we are hunting large private leases. Uh, our private leases range anywhere from about 16,000 to 180,000 acres. So these are vast, vast tracts of, of private land down there. And the predominant species would be the coos, whitetail, uh, and the desert mule deer. Those are the two prominent animals that we hunt. Uh, just about all of these hunts, uh, a person could include a javelina on as well. Uh, we do uh, have javelina tags issued to each and every one of the ranches. 
you look at a, a, a ranch in Mexico and you just say a hundred thousand acre ranch, that's a ranch that we may take uh, anywhere from 10 to 12 deer off of in, in a season. Uh, you compare that to, to other parts of the Southwest and it's just a, it's a fraction of a percent of the hunting pressure that most places get. So Mexico is truly, like I said, it's a sportsman's paradise. What were some of the concerns you had the first time you went down there as a hunter? You mentioned that the, the four of you went down there. You probably had the same reservations that any of our potential hunters would have. What was your reservations and how did it pan out when you actually got to the border? Absolutely. Safety and guns. Everyone knows it's been common knowledge for many years that uh, guns are outlawed in Mexico. You can't bring guns to Mexico. That really surprises people to learn that uh, we import over 40 firearms a year to Mexico. So we bring lots and lots of firearms back and forth to Mexico. Uh, like I said, almost 20 years without a single issue or hitch in that process. From a safety standpoint, yeah, Mexico has definitely had its problems over the years, like anywhere has had its problems. Uh, I always equate Mexico to, say, uh, um, Los Angeles, for example. There's, uh, we've got gangs fighting in the streets and, and shooting each other in, in parts of there, but th that would not prevent you from going to Disneyland with your family. The beaches are full of millions of visitors a year, uh, but you would not want to go into the inner city in the middle of the night and walk in dark alleys. And that's how I look at Mexico. We, we don't spend any time in cities in Mexico, in any cities or towns. We do pass through a few small towns that en route to some of our properties but we don't spend any time in any decent sized cities or certainly any metropolitan areas. And uh, like here in America, that's where a lot of your uh, issues and crime uh, tend to take place. And so I could equate most Mexico hunting to just truly being on a, on a ranch in the Western US um, that is so extremely remote, you're not going to see anyone for the duration of your trip. Uh, most of these ranches, once you enter the ranch, we would lock the front gate behind us. We would spend a week on that ranch, and the only people that you would ever see in the course of your hunt would, uh, would be the folks that are there with us and maybe the ranch hand on the property. Mexico is a safe place to travel. There's millions of Americans that travel to Mexico each year, and uh, we just take a few common-sense precautions as far as not, uh, not traveling at night, not spending time in large cities. Uh, but I think most hunters, when they get to Mexico, they're surprised to learn uh, that they feel extremely safe and extremely comfortable. I have lots of husbands and wives, lots of fathers and sons that come down without feeling uncomfortable at all. Now, guns, of course, is the big issue in Mexico. Uh, it makes the news a lot. Everyone's talking about guns and the Mexico issue. Uh, and it's nowhere near the issue that most people think it is. Uh, we do a federal gun permit, and that gun permit is issued by the Mexican military in association with the Game and Fish Department down in Hermosillo. So the two of those organizations together issue us a permit to import our firearms. Uh, it takes a couple stops at the border. We have to check them on the U.S. side, check them on the Mexico side with two different individuals, and then we're off to the ranch. Uh, you would repeat that process on the way out. Uh, very rarely, occasionally, um, say, for example, you were uh, passing through a roadblock or were somehow checked by law enforcement officials, uh, you would simply present your paperwork. Uh, those interactions last about 30 seconds. They glance down at the paperwork, confirm a few serial numbers, and we're on our way. So guns are surprisingly easy in Mexico. Um, like I said, we've never had an issue um, with an absolutely perfect 100% track record for pushing 20 seasons now. You know, it's interesting, Matt, and hearing your experiences down there long before I got on board, how similar they are. 
uh, the same reservations. Uh, I've only been going down there a handful of years now compared to what Matt's been doing. Uh, and we've not done them together, nor have we done them at the same border crossing, but our experiences are essentially the same. And it's really like traveling anywhere in the world. If your paperwork is right, your passport is current, and you use the appropriate customs and courtesies where you travel, traveling into Mexico is, is very safe. It's a lot of fun. It's a great cultural experience. It's beautiful. And like your uh, ranches you described, uh, we're just an hour into Mexico before we uh, take off into the mountains typically. And once we go through these four or five different cattle ranches, you are not going to see anyone. Uh, it's funny, I often tell clients uh, in Arizona, we may see more illegal crossings and illegal activity on the Arizona side than we do on the Mexico side. And you know, over time, uh, we cross with the same U.S. agents often and the same Mexico lieutenants and sergeants over time. And they're welcoming us. The, there's a tourist-free zone. The Mexican government wants tourists down there. They enjoy having us down there. And as Matt mentioned, the buck-to-doe ratio is pretty significant. You can't go wrong doing coos deer in Arizona or Sonora. They're totally different, totally unique opportunities. But either way, at the end of the day, they're both safe. They're both highly rewarding. You're going to see a lot of deer. Uh, the Sonoran Desert mule deer uh, on our ranches down in, in Mexico the ranchers will sell a lot more tags, but what Matt's done a great job of doing over time is educating the landowners uh, who are the outfit of record. It's worth a side note that technically uh, uh, U.S. citizens can't be guides down there, and we're not. Uh, the Mexican government has a, a local national who is the outfitter of record, and they technically run the operation, and, and we, we essentially uh, help them book those hunts for those ranches. And what Matt's done in his building his relationship down there is even though the ranchers may have been given a lot more tags from the Mexican government and where a lot of uh, Mexican landowners might say, well, Matt, if you're going to be my business partner, you've got to sell them all because this is all about the money. What Matt's done a good job of doing is explaining to him, hey, if we take less deer, even if we charge a little bit more premium, if we take less deer, you'll have a much bigger business of, of deer hunting over the years than if we sell all the deer tags we can make a quote-unquote pile of money now, but kill all your deal population. Can you talk, Matt, a little bit about age class, building those relationships with the Mexican nationals, landowners there, and how you've got them on board with, let's say, the, the Theodore Roosevelt concept of the North American conservation model? It's taken a little bit of effort, as you can imagine. Money is the central focus in a lot of these conversations, and uh, these tags do have, have some value, and so they would like to sell as many as they can. I'll give you a couple examples, or one particular example of one of my ranches, and uh, it's a ranch that the state issues 12 mule deer permits to, and 24 coos deer. Uh, we shoot two mule deer per year and uh, about 13, maybe 14 coos deer in, in that year. So uh, we leave 10 of those tags unfilled uh, in both cases, 10 coos deer and 10 mule deer. That has allowed us to maintain exceptionally high quality and, and, and older age class deer. So um, the densities of deer you see in Mexico, like Dan mentioned, with really high buck to doe ratios, just a higher percentage of older age class deer is what you have a, a chance to run into. One of the bigger things about hunting Mexico as well, one of the, the larger differences in my opinion is the ability to hunt with a rifle through the peak of the rut. So it's a unique hunt in that situation. Uh, we have lots of other rifle coos deer opportunities here in the Southwest, uh, starting back in October, November, even December. 
Um, but as we get to January, uh, that's typically bow season for us here in the southwest. But if we travel south of the border, it allows us to break those rifles back out in the late season. Most of North America is cold and buried under snow, and we're hunting down in 50, 60, 70 degree temperatures down south of the border uh, in beautiful weather, uh, hunting hunting deer in a peak rut type situation, So, uh, which is an unusual opportunity, certainly here in the southwest to hunt deer in the peak of the rut with a rifle. And uh, so a lot of those big deer are on their feet moving around, and, and uh, it, it can be the time of your life for sure. Now, I know, Matt, a lot of my clients, a lot of our clients have approached me over the years with these different hunts, and they'll say, yeah, I've seen some of the episodes on TV shows down there in Mexico for those giant mule deer, but I'm not really into the high rack hunting experience. We don't offer that at our Mexico ranches. This is more of a spot and stock experience. Talk a little bit about a day in the life of a trophy mule deer or coos deer hunt down there in Mexico since we're not doing the high racks. Sure. Our hunts have always been a little bit different than most of what you see down there. Uh, we do use uh, four-wheel drive vehicles and pickup trucks to access the ranch and get around. But most of the hunting is conducted off what we would call puntas altas, high points or vantage points, large uh, uh, peaks and mountains, uh, some of them just 100 feet out of the desert floor. Uh, some of them may require a, a much longer hike, but we gain those massive uh, bits of elevation, allow us to look over lots of country with our binoculars and pick that country apart and sort through those deer. And so this is what you would consider a true spot and stock hunt. Uh, you'll typically be, uh, like I said, ascending to some uh, sort of elevated uh, position, glassing, and then likely moving around and doing that a few different times throughout the day, uh, looking over and sorting through different deer and such. So uh, you'd be glassing those deer, uh, watching them for a while, assessing them and judging those deer and deciding if that's a deer that we were wanting to take. And if it was, then we would devise a plan from there. So that's, uh, that's where the strategy kind of aspect comes into play. And uh, we'd figure out what that deer's doing, what his plan is, and then we'd go make that happen. So uh, a little bit different than a lot of the hunting down in Mexico. Most of the areas I tend to concentrate on are in the northern part of Sonora. So uh, they're truly in the Sonoran Desert. A lot of it's wide open, uh, glassable country uh, with some thick drainages and things like that. But it is country that we can see these deer at great distances. I think one thing that surprises a lot of hunters that haven't spent time in the southwest is that we spend a lot of time looking at deer uh, that are one to three, maybe four miles away. So we look at deer at great distances. Uh, of course, these deer do not know we exist at the time. And so we have a, a good chance to sit back and watch and analyze deer and, and see what it is they're doing and make our best play at them. We're talking about optics. We're talking about glassing deer at anywhere from 100 yards to two or three miles, which is a, a new concept to a lot of our listeners. Uh, and so we'll throw a we'll make a throwback here to a sponsor of the segment, Paul at Best of the West Arizona Huskama Optics, at four eight zero six eight two seven seven six three four eight zero six eight two seven seven six three. When we're in that situation, doing those doing those uh, uh, high points and those vistas, and we're sitting out there with the Sawarskis and the Huskama Optics, uh, glassing these deer. Uh, you know, in Arizona, on some of these hunts, we may glass up 30, 40 deer a day. But a good percentage of them, you know, maybe as much as 60, 70% could be does. And, and again, we're, we're not saying one's better than the other. You can do well with Diamond Outfitters regardless of which destination you choose to hunt in. But give me an idea of when you're looking at these high points in Mexico on 100,000 acres and you've got all these tags, but you're being so selective on the bucks you take and, and you've really got your, the right sight picture, you know, a long-term approach to hunting trophy, trophy deer. You and I have even talked about, you know, we really discourage, almost disallow the harvest of anything under 190 inches, which is pretty unheard of anywhere in the world for mm -hmm. mule deer. 
Uh, talk a little bit about the buck to doe ratio. I mean, if you and I were to go down there January 4th, January 10th, 13th, we're going to see a lot of deer. Talk talk to people. I, I've always referred it. It was funny you made the Disneyland analogy down there. Uh, obviously, we both love hunting deer anywhere in the Southwest, including the U.S. or Mexico. But uh, I've often referred to hunting some of these ranches in Mexico as Disneyland. Again, it's not necessarily because the deer are different. They're the same species. They have the same potential for age class. But a lot of it being on private land, you reduce a lot of that hunting pressure. So I've often referred to it as the happiest place on earth for hunters, Disneyland. How many deer are we realistically, if we, if you and I climbed 20 minutes up a hill and truly de- and got there before sunrise and dedicated a full morning, uh, as people are driving around to work and in their cars, listening on the radio, maybe listening in a deer stand, tree stand, uh, kind of paint the picture. I mean, we're talking about Jurassic Park here, right? What, what, what are you looking at? We can be abso- absolutely great buck to doe ratios. And in certain areas, we may be going in and looking for like a certain deer. We may not see great numbers, but in a lot of these cases, um, you can plan on seeing uh, anywhere from, uh, I'd say on average, say 10 to 30 bucks a day. And, and a great percentage of those being mature bucks. And I think that's the, the biggest deal as far as Mexico goes. Uh, uh, it certainly surprises people to see those deer numbers in the desert. Um, whether we're talking about coos deer or mule deer, a mule deer, uh, we can, we, we can look over vast amounts of country. They tend to inhabit flatter terrain that the, the desert mule deer do for sure. And uh, we can gain a lot of elevation of, of them, look over massive amounts of country and see lots and lots of deer in a morning or in an afternoon hunt. Uh, coos deer again varies cause sometimes we're climbing mountains or looking for a particular deer. Uh, but again, great, vast densities of deer. One of my particular ranches, uh, one of my guides went out and we spent some time. We went out for a day and wanted to see how well we would do. And uh, it was between clients. It was just the two of us there. We found 107 bucks one day. And so that is a, a great, great deer density, certainly for the dry deserts. Normally, we don't expect to see densities like we do in the Midwest just because of the resources on the ground and the drier climate. Uh, but uh, that was, uh, I think, officially my best day in Mexico uh, was 107 bucks in one day. And, and so you know, you'll, a- you'll hear people uh, that are listening right now, you know, hopefully are not wrecking your cars, right? But 107 bucks, a lot of people won't see that in, in even two or three deer hunting seasons. And it reminds me of kind of the process and your process may be a little different, but I have a feeling just knowing you as well as I do that the process are pretty similar. And a lot of you are probably thinking to yourself, how on earth would a would a, a U.S. outfitter team up with a Mexican national to build a, a an operation? And knowing that the ranch has integrity, and and how a ranch owner would really allow this this conservation model to work, and not just make it all about money and tags, but how do you actually make it work financially? How do you make it feasible with the resource without overhunting it? So the process I've experienced with THS, with Pat and George and Francisco, is pretty neat. Uh, and I want your take on it too. I'll briefly share what our experience has been like, but I wonder if yours is similar. Obviously, when it's when it's your name on the door, it's your business reputation, you take it very personal. And uh, as our businesses have grown to be the largest coos deer outfitter and the largest full-time guide service in the Southwest U.S., with that reputation comes a lot of responsibility. And it also comes with a lot of people trying to knock you down and knock you off that point of the spear. When we get a call, Matt, about a Mexico ranch, we don't just all pack up, drop what we're doing and go down there. We have our local, our national representative in Mexico. He kind of does a two or three day overview with the landowner because sometimes they tell you it's never been hunted before. Nobody's hunted here for eight years. There's no poaching. And then you go down there and it's adjacent to a highway, which is really well known for poaching or 
or they may have not had an outfitter there, but the grandkids been allowed to kill 40, 50 deer a year. So our process has always been that first Francisco goes and evaluates and builds a relationship with a landowner. And that t- process can take some time. And only then after that, do they usually make a call for Pat or George or for more of us to come down there. And then even then we'll still do some processing. Our first season there, we may take a smaller fraction of, of bucks. One of my favorite stories just that took place in the last couple of years with Pat and George was they got a call. It was like the fourth or fifth ranch we'd been offered that year. We had turned all the other ones down. They never passed the Francisco test. This one was unique. This call was, hey, uh, Francisco checked out for two or three days, knew the landowner, and he, it was one of those drop what you're doing and get down here moments. I wasn't available. George went the first week, I think, went down there for a weekend, met the landowner. It was a situation where it was just the wife now. The husband had passed away, and she really had a, had a nice situation off the grid, no poaching, really no harvest, no outfitter. All the stories you hear were actually true. And George, I think, went the first week and came back and reported that everything was looking good. It looked like a great place to hunt and that he had seen the biggest buck on the hoof in his life and that Pat should get down there as fast as he could or, or I should get down there as fast as I could. Well, Pat was able to go the second week and met with the landowner, had the same great experience as Francisco and then George had had. And then he went out and saw the biggest buck he had ever seen. Now, we're talking about two guys uh, who are legends in the coos deer business. In fact, you can go right now onto our website, diamondoutfitters.com, click on the TV or video link, and you'll see three coos deer episodes uh, that you can view some of these stories, uh, a full TV episode, Best of the West episodes. They sat down the week after he got back, and they were describing this biggest deer they'd ever seen in their life, and they were two separate deer. Uh, so that was when, and I'm getting goosebumps right now, kind of remembering <laughs> that. And that was kind of that process. Um, talk a little bit about uh, how you decipher a winner from a ranch that you're never going to do business on. Uh, I feel like this point, I've been doing it so long, I, get, I roll into a ranch and I usually have a feeling within a few minutes whether this is something that may pan out or, or not. You'll hear lots of horror stories with Mexico, uh, and those are mostly paperwork issues and things, things of that nature. But uh, we do have to put that legwork in. And so, we, uh, we've, again, we've got our outfitting partners down south of the border that take care the kind of the initial type stuff, and they, they'll approach us with uh, prospective properties. And uh, next thing you know, we're down there looking at those properties, glassing those properties, hanging trail cameras. In my case, and a lot of times, we've done a lot of work to some of these houses. We've had to come in and remodel a bathroom and, and add some stuff or fix up a kitchen to make the situation a, a feasible outfitting situation. Uh, and a lot of them don't work out. A lot of them uh, we, we struggle with. And uh, we've I've made some attempts in years past uh, on some ranches that didn't really pan out. But at this point, we're so many years into that, we've really dialed that down to a, a fine-tuned process. Uh, we've eliminated lots and lots of ranches, literally dozens of ranches that uh, we've uh, attempted and don't want to hunt, and narrowed it down to what I feel are some of the finest coos deer properties uh, in the southwestern desert. I used to live down about 15 miles from the Mexico border, and so that first half of my career, that allowed me to spend a ton of time in Mexico and build those relationships uh, with landowners and such, and then put us in the position that we are today, that we've got uh, reliable ranches, consistent ranches with a proven track record, and we know what we're going into. I touched really quickly on problems. You, you, hear, you will hear horror stories. You will find horror stories from Mexico. And that all boils down to knowing who you're going to Mexico with and knowing that you're going with someone who has that proven track record. Mexico is one of those places where new outfitters pop up each and every year. 
Do you really want to focus on, on making sure that you're spending time in Mexico with someone who's been down there and done it and been through uh, the ringer, so to speak, uh, for many years down there and has dialed that process in? Mexico requires a fair amount of paperwork, which is all done by your outfitter. That's something that a hunter does not have to worry about or be concerned about at all. And uh, as long as your outfitter knows what he's doing, um, like like us here at Diamond Outfitters, uh, taking care of all the gun permits uh, um, and all the uh, deer export permits, uh, those are all U.S. documents to uh, import your deer into the United States through the USDA, the Department of Agriculture. And as long as that stuff is dialed in, these trips run exceptionally smooth, as long as you know who you're going with, as long as you're, you're getting taken care of and you're in the right hands. You're listening to The Hunt with Matt and Dan. We appreciate you listening today. Matt Woodward, formerly of Borderland Adventures, now Diamond Outfitters. You can reach Matt at 520-820-4728, 520-820-4728, or Matt at DiamondOutfitters.com. Now, Matt, one of the things we haven't touched on yet is not just everybody's going to be able to hunt with us necessarily in Mexico uh, the first year per se, because you have we have what percentage of guys that rebook this hunt year after year? We've talked a little bit about some of the challenges and we're not trying to paint a dark picture because it's an awesome hunt and we love going there. We just want all of our listeners uh, to the hunt with Matt and Dan podcast to understand that we do things right. There's a, a combined, a lot of years of experience, hundreds of deer taken down there through, through the partners and affiliations down there. But, uh, this is a hunt where guys come and bring their friends and family and come for a long time. Why don't you talk about some of those relationships and how many of our hunts are actually sold out long before uh, the next season even becomes available to market. Absolutely. Uh, It's really a limited opportunity. And like I said, I don't want to paint a dark picture of it, uh, but it's because it's such a good hunt. It's because it's such an amazing experience uh, that uh, when we get folks down to Mexico and we uh, we kind of twist their arm to get them down and get that first hunt book, they make it down to Mexico and they experience uh, that hunt, whether they're, whether they're hunting whitetail or mule deer, they come back. And they come back and back and back and they bring their friends and they bring their families. And so uh, at least 80 plus percent of our hunts each year are, are taken up by hunters from the previous year that just rebook essentially either while they're there or in a few cases, actually in a handful of cases, we've got folks booked two, three, four years out in advance that just say, put me on the schedule. These are certainly limited hunts. Uh, we talked about uh, we do not use all of our tag allotments. And so uh, we've got vast tracts of land uh, limited to in three to four hunters at a time, uh, oftentimes coming as a group, sometimes coming as individual hunters. A very limited opportunity. I know that we do have a couple of spots available for this coming winter. And so if someone is interested in getting down to Mexico and chasing those giant bucks this year, definitely give us a call or an email here at Diamond Outfitters. Uh, we still do have some opportunities for the, the winter of 2019 and 20, uh, or really for January 20 specifically. One of the downsides to Mexico is that it is so limited, very low number of tags, and it's such a great hunt that uh, once you come, you're going to want to reserve your spot for next year, and that's, uh, that keeps our tags relatively limited. And one of the nice things too, Matt, talk about the process down there as far as uh, maybe somebody says, yeah, I want to go down there, but I know on my Arizona hunts, maybe I can only get one elk a year or one deer a year, but what if somebody wanted to come down there and, and, and combo up a couple deer or... Maybe they wanted to do a, a coos deer hunt for the first couple days with a rifle. And if they're successful, maybe spend three or four days chasing one with a bow. Can a guy take more than one deer? Talk a little bit about the opportunity to uh, 
uh, hunt down there combination animals. Absolutely. We do a lot of that down in Mexico. Uh, you can kind of create your, your, your own little southwestern safari and, uh, and even combine some hunts and, and overall save some money in the long run if you've got a little time to combine some hunts. Um, we've got hunters that take multiple deer per year, whether you just want to come down and add to your coos deer collection or start to build your coos deer collection and go down and try to take two nice bucks in a week. Or like Dan mentioned, take a buck with your rifle and then spend some time trying to capitalize on one with your bow. Um, so lots of opportunities to do things like that, as well as mule deer, uh, coos deer, and a javelina combo with the ability to hunt predators as available or if time permits. And so there's lots and lots of uh, great opportunities and certainly can be combined into these great combo hunts. So if a guy's limited on time, you can come down for a week in January and take two species of deer and a javelina um, and really uh, build his collection, build his southwestern collection. Now, my mouth is already watering before I ask you this question, and in large part because I already know the answer. But talk about some of the talented uh, cooks we have down there working our hunting camps. And uh, we may be going down there for the hunting, but we might rebook for the food. Talk a little bit about how we eat down there. Oh, absolutely. So we've got a few fantastic cooks that take great care of us. And on, on these ranches, we do have help. We've got our cowboys that manage the ranches. These boys are out there taking care of us full time. These are the guys that are on the ranch full time year round so they know it better than anyone so we definitely utilize the resource of our uh, our local guys that are there to help us uh, but our cooks are fantastic one of one of our cooks in particular his name's Ruben we call him Ruby uh, but old Ruby takes really good care of us, whether it's a uh, grilled carne asada and a full kind of Mexican fiesta type dinner uh, to Italian night uh, to the old steak baked potato and the fa and fancy salad night. We do a little bit uh, of everything. We, we mix it up for sure. And so it's, uh, it's not just beans and rice for a week down in Mexico. Uh, we definitely enjoy a few different traditional Sonoran type meals. And we even eat some wild game while we're down there. And uh, in addition to breaking that up with uh, maybe a big ribeye steak and a baked potato. So and we eat really, really well, uh, full breakfasts, packed lunches for the field, and then fantastic dinners. And so uh, they take really good care of us. The hospitality down in Mexico, in my opinion, is, is second to none. These folks appreciate the fact that we're down there, and it really shows. And so it's a, it's a great experience all around, and you're well, well taken care of when you're in Mexico. So... On that note, a lot of these hunts are, are make a really good opportunity uh, for a husband and wife. Most folks wouldn't wouldn't think that, um, but this is a place that uh, that your wife is welcome and will enjoy, and, and will have a great hunt herself. So I think that surprises a lot of folks as well. These are great environments, and we are really well taken care of. So we've covered so far in in this episode of the hunt with Matt and Dan, thirteen different animals you can hunt in Arizona. On about 13.1 million acres, all in is what we're hunting here. We spent some time talking about Sonora, Mexico, through our partners down there, some Mexican nationals down there, and some incredible world-class Disneyland-level uh, hunts for Sonoran Desert mule deer as well as coos deer. But the opportunity to hunt with the Diamond Outfitters team doesn't end there. Uh, we have some incredible hunts in the state of New Mexico through some partnerships we have in the state of New Mexico. Similar species to Arizona, we're talking about things like Rocky Mountain elk, pronghorn antelope, uh, deer to a certain extent, and uh, at the end we're going to even talk about oryx, or if you've uh, hunted in Africa, uh, you might know them as gemsbuck. But one of the things that I get a lot of clients telling me over the last 
Uh, well, we've been in business almost two generations now, but uh, specifically the last seven or eight years as we've expanded out of the state of Arizona to some of these other places, one of the things they like the most about Diamond Outfitters, Matt, is that we can kind of be a one-stop shop. I mean, just about every Western big game species of animal can be hunted with Diamond Outfitters. If you look at the Super Slam or the Super 10, most of those species can be conducted just with Diamond Outfitters. So we're kind of a one-stop shop for a lot of those species. And for our clients, after we put them in for some of these Arizona draws, if they don't draw antelope, they don't draw elk, um, there are some other opportunities within our within our team. Talk a little bit about the New Mexico opportunity too. Yeah, there's really great opportunities in New Mexico. New Mexico differs from Arizona in one major way. They do have a lot of draw hunts via a draw system uh, where they do not have any bonus points at all. So uh, we touched on some bonus points in Arizona earlier and how that works. New Mexico, everyone is on a level playing field each and every year for the draw hunts. And so uh, we can definitely help you get applied for New Mexico and pursue some of those fantastic tags. Uh, if you're not drawing New Mexico or in Arizona or looking to do something a little bit different, we have a lot of guaranteed tags as well in New Mexico. Uh, for elk and antelope, most specifically, uh, we do lease about 100,000 acres in central New Mexico that has some absolutely fantastic world-class elk hunting on it. Uh, as well as antelope and so we do uh, we do about a dozen or so antelope uh, each year in New Mexico and uh, with a very high average for as far as trophy quality we spend most of our time in Lincoln and Socorro counties which if you'll take a look at the uh, Boone and Crockett records you'll see that those are the one in two counties uh, for Boone and Crockett entries for, for pronghorn antelope so uh, some really uh, big big trophy animals uh, in this particular area and those are guaranteed tags those are what New Mexico refers to as landowner tags those are issued to the landowner uh, on a very limited basis. They're a very low number of tags, uh, certainly not very much unlike the public system. Uh, these are definitely reduced tag numbers comparatively, but uh, you can hunt elk and antelope in New Mexico each and every year on a landowner tag. And so if you're after a really big bull or even a collection of big bulls, that's something that we can provide in New Mexico without having to uh, uh, wade through the draw process in some other places, as well as those antelope permits. Go I ahead. think you've also uh, done a great job, Matt, of building some of these longtime relationships with landowners in New Mexico, which isn't easy. I know when I first left the Air Force building my business in Arizona, I also tried to, to build my business in Mexico, I'm sorry, in New Mexico, and I've had limited success in building some of these relationships with those ranchers compared to you. Talk a little bit about, uh, because I think this gets overshadowed often in the outfitting world, um, because we think so much, we talked about even in Old Mexico, the experience where you would think the landowner would be money, money, money all the time. It's a cattle ranch first. You know, hunting is a side note. It should be all about the money. But talk about how you built, we talked a little bit already earlier in Mexico, but talk about New Mexico how you've built those relationships. We're talking about, in some cases, 10, 12-year relationships uh, where the landowner wants you back. They, they don't even want to consider another outfitter. How you've established so many premier tags on so many premier ranches and maintain those relationships over time because it's unique. It's rare in a society that's so money-driven, so instant gratification-driven. Talk a little bit about your process and, and how you've maintained these relationships and, again, kept those tag numbers down but quality up, older age class animals up, higher buck or bull to doe or cow ratios, 
and a higher overall experience for our hunters. That's 100% personal relationships. And so I'll give you a quick little overview of how I got into New Mexico. And, and it was a personal friend that got me into New Mexico. It's tough to break into that market, as I know you're aware. I had a friend who had been uh, hunting antelope on a particular ranch uh, with a group of his friends for many, many years. I think it was about 14 or 15 seasons that they had leased this ranch up through another personal friend that had turned them on to it years and years ago. I just happened to be in the, uh, the right place at the right time, to be honest with you, in New Mexico. This great friend that was a hunting partner of mine, we actually happened to be standing up on top of a mountain one day, glassing for Coos Whitetail, and uh, turned full circle talking about antelope, chatting about antelope. And he says, you know, I think we're getting a little older. We may not be doing this antelope hunt so much. My eyes lit up, of course, and I said, oh, antelope tags, you know, and this is, of course, years and years ago, and, and uh, so within about a week or so, him and I were in the pickup truck headed for central New Mexico uh, to go meet the rancher. And uh, as most uh, ranchers are, uh, this rancher was not uh, not necessarily happy to see me. And I uh, asked, you know, if I was an outfitter and, and, you know, what I was doing and all that kind of stuff. And we joke about it these days. Those first couple of minutes, uh, uh, he didn't have any... Uh, any trust or faith or even any desire to deal with another outfitter. He had had bad experiences in the past. Well, within about 20 minutes, we'd gotten past that point, and, and uh, John and I are like great friends. We talk on the phone all the time. Uh, I've been there over a decade now, and, uh, and so it was about building that personal relationship. I spend time there in the off-season, and, and John's a great friend and, and, uh, and a great asset, great resource for us as well, and so uh, that was kind of my introduction. Uh, I had someone that was no longer wanting to hunt those tags, and I kind of took them over, began to hunt those antelope in New Mexico, and then branch out from there and reach out to the neighbors. And spending so much time in New Mexico, I was meeting other ranchers, milling around for roundups and, and helping brand cattle and things like that, meeting some of these folks. And uh, again, about five years after I had been hunting New Mexico, I had an opportunity to take over the neighbor's ranch. And uh, for, so that's kind of how that just spirals, building those long-term personal relationships, years and years of coming back and, and branding cattle with these guys and working and, and, uh, and taking care of the, the, the ranch and, and building that reputation with one rancher so that he can vouch for you to his neighbor. To me, it's all about those personal relationships. And uh, uh, of course, uh, money is an issue. Money is important, but we're, we're way past that point now. So um, these ranchers are close, personal friends of mine, and uh, uh, I really appreciate everything they do for the, for the land and the stewardship of the land out there. When we show up, we do the same. We take really good care of their ranches. We're very respectful of their ranches. Um, we're also very uh, consistent in the type of animals that we want to shoot and the management of the ranch. And so we typically don't shoot any of these ranches to their full potential. Um, we always want to leave a lot of animals for next year and leave an up-and-coming crop of quality, mature, at least up-and-coming animals for the following season. You're listening to The Hunt with Matt and Dan podcast. This segment is sponsored by www.zerooutfitterfees.com. Matt's done a great job talking about, uh, we talked about Sonora, Mexico. We've talked about Arizona. We're talking about New Mexico now. We're talking a little bit about those landowner relationships. For a hunter who uh, is going to look at doing a New Mexico hunt with us, what time of year are we doing these antelope hunts typically? What type of year are we doing these elk hunts? Are there opportunities for multiple weapons? Are there opportunities for hunting the rut? Talk a little bit about seasonality of some of these hunts. 
Absolutely. And we do have a little bit of a change this year. What normally has been happening in October, uh, the antelope season, uh, usually a few different weeks in October. This year, New Mexico has bumped it back to August. So we do have a little bit of a change in the season structure for 2019 here. And so we hunt antelope in August. The elk hunts can be done a couple of different ways. The elk hunt can be done as an archery hunt uh, throughout the month of September. This particular area, you'd be granted a 21-day season for archery elk, a continuous season, much unlike most of the other areas in New Mexico for elk. We typically do these elk permits on October 1st. We do them as a rifle hunt on October 1st. Of course, early October, the bulls are still bugling, and we're still kind of peak rut type, type conditions, and it's a world-class, fantastic trophy-style hunt um, with bulls bugling and the ability to look over bulls and, and in an area that uh, does not receive a lot of pressure and, in my opinion, has an exceptionally high percentage of older age class bulls. So the, uh, the chance to see and hunt uh, some really big older bulls is there. And uh, I think it's a really unique opportunity to purchase, essentially, a, a landowner tag or what amounts to an over-the-counter tag to hunt elk in the rut with a rifle. So there's a couple different ways our clients procure these uh, different opportunities to hunt. And you can reach Matt. Uh, Matt at diamondoutfitters.com, or you can reach me, Dan, Dan at diamondoutfitters.com. But there's a couple different ways you can proceed to uh, move forward uh, with some of these opportunities to hunt the Southwest. Most of our clients, uh, and I'm speaking for about 1,200 individuals right now that are part of the Diamond Outfitters family, will take the step to be put in an Arizona draw or procure some of these other 100% guaranteed tags or over-the-counter tags first. And in the case of, let's say, elk, if they didn't draw an elk tag in a particular year, well, first they're going to get a bonus point in Arizona. And then if they don't get that tag, they can call me or Matt and say, well, what about uh, New Mexico? Do we have any landowner permits available? So that's maybe a, a small portion of our clients who say first Arizona draw, then maybe New Mexico draw, then maybe landowner. And, and that works for a certain number of our clients. However, the risk for those clients is that our landowner tags are for sale on a first come first serve basis. So typically what that means is the guys that hunted it last year, as long as they're, you know, within our culture, within our, our uh, expectations from our customers, uh, they'll, they'll book before they leave. So that's always going to take a certain amount of tags. The second wave of, of hunters will come from guys that aren't waiting to find out their Diamond Outfitters of Arizona draw results. They just say, hey, if I draw Arizona, great, but I still want to book that elk hunt now or that antelope hunt now. So uh, as you're listening to the Hunt with Matt and Dan podcast, you can pick which type of hunter you want to be. Do you want to have us put you in for the Arizona draw, then have you put you in for the New Mexico draw? And there's a great chance you could draw one of those tags, but if you don't, then you could evaluate what we have left over in New Mexico as a landowner tag or in Old Mexico as a landowner tag or in Arizona what we have left over as an over-the-counter or 100% draw tag. Or you could just jump to the front of the line and say, Hey, I want to book an elk hunt with you right now in New Mexico in 2020 or 2021 without regard to my Arizona draw. So if I draw, sure, I'll do two elk hunts this year. I don't care. But those are two or three different ways you can you can look at booking those hunts. You can do a wait-and-see approach on the draw. You can just jump to the front of the line and book. Or you can come do a hunt with us. And most of our hunts, before the client leaves, they've either rebooked the same type of hunt. For example, a coos deer hunter might book the exact same coos deer hunt uh, for the same week next year, as, as just happened one of our Mexico ranches last year, Larry Lewis is bringing his entire uh, group of 10 back to one of our Coos ranches. Or you could say, you know, I, I had a great time with you here in, in uh, New Mexico or Arizona with you this year. Next year I want to do elk or I want to do mule deer 
or I want to come for a lion hunt or a color phase black bear hunt. A lot of different ways you see uh, our clients have opportunities to build their hunting plans for, for the Southwest. And there's a lot of different ways to do it all in one, all in one house, so to speak, which is really popular. Um, one of the things I'm most excited about asking Matt about today is uh, an opportunity that's really overlooked. And that is the New Mexico Oryx or Gemsbuck hunt. Now, I have a funny introductory story I've got to share with you. The draw process in New Mexico for the premier Oryx hunts are largely on the White Sands Missile Base. And this is a once in a lifetime draw. And it means exactly what it sounds like. If you draw this tag, uh, it's not a once in a lifetime kill. It's a once in a lifetime draw. And the hunt success on these hunts typically run in the 96, 97 percentile. These are two or three day hunts. Uh, they take place in a, a variety of times around the year. And over the course of the last several years, a lot of Diamond Outfitters guides have drawn this hunt. And it's been fun to go on these hunts uh, as a glasser. But about seven or eight years ago, I pulled one of these tags myself. And I was very excited. I had no visions of ever going to Africa to hunt the Gemsbuck or Oryx over there at that point. And went on this hunt. And I went in there pretty egotistical, if I'm being honest. Um, all my guides that had gone over there and hunted had all killed a 31 to 33 inch bull, 38 to 40 inch cow in two days, made it look pretty easy. So I go in there with my chest all puffed up thinking, hey, these two days I'm going to kill a 33, 34, 35 inch bull or a 42, 43 inch cow. And the first day, Matt, I don't know how many bulls I passed on, but I do know this. I know on, on day two of the hunt, when we went through the gate, this young gate sentry couldn't have been more than 20 years old checked my ID and said, you know, sir, you better shoot something first thing this morning. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, well, those white sands are supposed to kick up this afternoon and you don't want to mess with that. And I thought to myself, well, you don't know who you're talking to. I've got Pat Romero sitting right next to me. I've got Mark Swift sitting behind me. I've got the dream team. I'm going to go out there and smoke a big old bull today. Well, I'll be darned if about noon those white sands didn't kick up. And I'm here to tell you, we couldn't see 30 yards. And when we checked out that night, the century... He uh, checked us out, and we were the last person to check out of that group out of 40 hunters. Uh, and he had a little grease board going. And he, on his grease board, it said that 38 of the 40 hunters had already checked out. Uh, 36 of them had harvested oryx. Uh, 10 out of 10 youth hunters had harvested oryx. And 9 out of 10 lady hunters had hunted oryx. So here's this quote-unquote big-shot Arizona outfitter, right? Totally unsuccessful, totally missed his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity having a $1,600 tag soup when he got back home to Arizona. So now, uh, folks on a, on a 100,000 acre plus ranch, if I remember correctly, Matt, with the opportunity for you to come and do this uh, in conjunction with an antelope potentially or potentially an elk tag, or maybe the opportunity I'm most excited about for Diamond Outfitters clients is the opportunity to do this as an off-season, January, February, or March type hunt, standalone hunt, uh, with the opportunity to do a best of the West uh, long range hunting and ethics class while you're there at the ranch. So Matt, talk a little bit about the opportunity to do the Oryx hunts in New Mexico. Talk about the ranch, the accommodations, uh, and what we've got there as far as an Oryx population and, and what restrictions or timetables would a client want to know about uh, doing one of these hunts with us. Yeah, this is, a, this is an unbelievable opportunity. It's a really unique opportunity that uh, I would say certainly the vast majority of hunters are, are definitely not aware of. Uh, in New Mexico, we can hunt oryx on private property for about uh, eight months of the year on an over-the-counter tag. So this is a guaranteed tag hunt, and uh, we've got lots of flexibility as to when we do it. 
Uh, we have two large adjoining ranches, and uh, Dan just briefly mentioned the White Sands Missile Range there in central New Mexico. We sit on the northern boundary of that, so that is where the uh, Oryx or Gemsbuck were originally introduced to New Mexico, and they've got vast densities of them out there on the White Sands, and uh, we are essentially on the large ridge above the White Sands, the large ridge that kind of overlooks it, and so a lot of those Oryx, hundreds and hundreds of those Oryx have moved up into the mountain ranges there, and and we've got great populations of oryx on, on private land. So it's a wonderful hunt with great ranch house type accommodations. We stay on the ranch, uh, which is, again, quite different than most places in New Mexico. A lot of the places in New Mexico, uh, you would likely be staying in town and then hunting a private ranch or at a hotel or something. We've got accommodations, beautiful accommodations, right in the middle of the property. So everything from the shooting school to oryx hunting, you're doing right there out the front door of the ranch. And uh, it's a really unique, wonderful opportunity. We even tie some predator hunting into those if we've tagged out early. But again, a unique animal in a unique part of the world that a person can hunt every year. Dan was talking about those very limited, extremely tough to draw um, once in a lifetime tags. And once you've drawn a tag on the white sands, uh, you are done. Uh, that's not, not the case at all um, for private land in New Mexico. You're allowed to come shoot an oryx or a gemsbuck every year. And uh, if you've already got your once-in-a-lifetime oryx, uh, this one does not uh, count against that as well. So uh, you can still hunt this each and every year and, and hunt an oryx and, and while still applying for your white sands tag as well if a person wanted, wanted to hunt one on the range or had in the past. So really unique opportunity to that piece of the world. I know, and this will probably sound self-serving, but I know when I did my hunt on white sands, I was surrounded by you know those other 38 hunters, a lot of road hunting, and and on that tag, it was any oryx. So it could have been a bull, it could have been a cow, it could have been a juvenile. Uh, but the opportunity to hunt them with you on 100,000 plus acres, incorporate a Best of the West shooting school, really have a private, more intimate setting where we're the only hunters on the ranch. I mean, that that carries a lot of weight, that carries a lot of value. And a lot, of, I imagine, having uh, all those hunts that take place on White Sands, do you get a fair amount of oryx getting pushed off? onto the property is that kind of how the yeah, initial population set up there it is it is and oryx tend to be a little bit nomadic um i've actually seen oryx in some pretty bizarre places in new mexico hours and hours from the white sands and so oryx have begun in the last handful of years to really distribute themselves over new mexico and cover some more ground uh, of course pressure on the uh, the missile range has pushed oryx up uh, up into the areas that we hunt uh, but now we have resident populations of oryx that are that are re breeding and reproducing on the property. Um, but they do tend, oryx have been known to be a little bit nomadic, and they cover a lot of ground. And that's the beneficial thing about our particular property is that it's large enough that uh, at any given time we have multiple herds or populations of oryx on the property. And if some of them were to go on a little walkabout and cover some country, we still have other oryx to hunt. So. Uh, it's a unique opportunity on a really large tract of land. It's very much unlike uh, most others in the area. So this, this is the biggest piece uh, of ground in this particular area, and it sits uh, right in a prime, absolutely prime location to house these oryx. And my understanding is, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm pretty ignorant to it, and this is probably 10 or 12 years ago worth of reading and research I did and haven't done it since, but these original oryx or gemsbuck along with the uh, ibex that's in new mexico uh, there's some history there i believe it was a governor in the 50s maybe that uh, was a uh, in the 40s and 50s somewhere in there who kind of had this vision of hey new mexico has all these great great species um, but i think if we had a couple introductory or exotic species um, not only would they be a food source but also recreational hunting source 
Uh, and as I said, I'm not super up on that, and, and I realize I'm putting you on the spot, but what's your understanding of how these uh, animals like Ibex and Oryx, maybe even the Barbary sheep, first ended up in the state of New Mexico? Absolutely. That, that's a great question, and, and uh, uh, I think they, they came from, the, the animals that you mentioned came from a few different sources, uh, uh, both the Persian Ibex in southern New Mexico and the Oryx. Uh, were brought in as a hunting opportunity. They were brought in by the state and, uh, and released in, into New Mexico to create future hunting opportunities. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, the Barbary sheep or Outad came in a little bit differently. Uh, these are mostly uh, West Texas uh, high fence escapees that have migrated through West Texas and are free ranging throughout West Texas and down into Chihuahua and have now moved their way into New Mexico, mostly into the southeastern corner of the state. And so they came in from a little bit different route. Uh, but all three populations are absolutely thriving down in the Florida mountains, down in unit 25 in Southern New Mexico. Uh, just a quick stop off the side of the road and a lift of your binoculars. We'll, we'll put some Ibex in your binoculars. Lots and lots of those critters running around there. Uh, that can be a tough hunt uh, to draw. Uh, they offer a, a rifle, a muzzleloader, and an archery season in there. But those Oryx uh, provide us the greatest opportunity um, to hunt a really special animal, a really unique animal in a private land guaranteed tag type situation. So today on The Hunt with Matt and Dan, we've covered about 13 animals to hunt in Arizona, a small handful to hunt with Diamond Outfitters team in Sonora, Mexico, and another handful of animals to hunt in the state of New Mexico. Uh, for more information on any of these hunts, you can contact Matt at 520-820-4728 or matt at diamondoutfitters.com. You can also contact me, Dan, uh, 520-730-8147 or dan at diamondoutfitters.com. You can also find us on Facebook and social media. Our websites are www.diamondoutfitters.com and www.zerooutfitterfees.com. Thanks so much for listening to The Hunt with Matt and Dan, and we'll look forward to joining with you on our next episode. The Hunt with Matt and Dan is brought to you by their premier half-day fishing boat out of San Diego at H&M Landing, Zero Outfitter Fees, and Huskama Optics.